everybody. Welcome to The Apron Bump. This is your host, the hardest part of the ring. It was so hard. And today we're going to talk about some wrestling. Some, uh, you know, there's just some sweaty men getting in there and uh, all, all sweaty and vascular and all their veins are all turgid and just some, they start jostling around in there and gonna get a little grapple action and then <laughs> I'm sorry I'm trying to I'm like I'm, I'm thinking about maybe starting an ASMR channel you know ASMR slash you know erotic uh, fiction are there audio books about like like 50 shades of gray or whatever you whatever you clams read um <laughs> sorry you're all lovely ladies, if, if any women listen to this. Um, well, on that note, let's talk about some fucking progress wrestling, everybody. Um, no, it was... Um, I actually had a really good time watching uh, these chapters that we're going to talk about today. Uh, chapters 7 and 8. Um, but we'll start off with chapter 7 just to get our, uh, our, our nipples tweedled a little bit first, so... Um, but I do, I do want to mention uh, before I get going here that uh, if you are new to Progress Wrestling, I did do an intro to Progress episode a few months ago, and then about a month or so later, I did an episode on chapters five and six. Um, and yes, that intro episode was chapters one through four, and kind of just an overview of Progress and kind of what you're getting into when you watch this stuff. And it's definitely like it's definitely a promotion I recommend. It's um it's kind of become my uh kind of oasis from everything cuz you know I have guests on here and um you know the the attitude era and all that stuff. It's a very popular time in wrestling. Everybody has a lot of opinions on it and that's why I love coming on here and uh, talking about it. But progress is something that feels a little more underground to me. Um even though it's not exactly like a secret company. It's it's a very popular promotion. Uh, nowadays in the UK, um, I guess well not not at this moment because of all the hullabaloo going on in the world, but uh, yeah, it just feels like my time to kind of watch something that nobody else is watching right now. Um, at least as far as these early chapters go, and it, it's, it, it's there's just something fun about that, you know. It's like when you have a band that you listen to that nobody else listens to. It's kind of like one of those things, right? So um, I forget what my point is. I probably had none. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, that that really adds to my enjoyment of these shows, and it's just a lot of really good wrestling. And um, in these early chapters, we're starting to get some storylines to unfold and some characters to kind of be solidified. Um, you know, because in those early chapters, they're kind of just bringing in people, seeing what's stuck, seeing, just trying to fill out their uh, little um, not arena, whatever you call it, theater, uh, garage, whatever you want to call it. Um, but at this point, we're starting to get some uh, some key players, some uh, reoccurring characters. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're starting to get some feuds fleshing out. We're starting to get some uh, motiv- motivations established, some backstories established. So it's really good. Really good time to uh, watch progress. So if you wanted to start from here and you haven't listened to my previous episodes, you'd be perfectly fine. Um, but I do strongly suggest you go listen to... Uh, my intro to progress episode and chapters five and six. If you want to be up to date as far as storylines and uh, whatever uh, bullshit I talked about in those episodes. But with that, 
let's start off here with chapter 7. And uh, this chapter is titled, Every Sinner Has a Past, Every Sinner Has a Future. And I think, I think that is a thing that Nigel McGinnis said one time in a promo. But uh, <laughs> I did not research that. That is only my assumption. Um, and you'll figure out why that's my assumption as we get going here. So the show actually opens up with a Progress Wrestling Championship match. Um, so if you remember, I, I believe it was last chapter, Noam Dar won a title opportunity by beating Dave Mastiff in a number one contenders match. So he earned a title match against the champion Legero, Um, but I guess it was assumed that it would be the main event, right? You would assume that. I assume that. Uh, but we get the show opens up with Noam Dar, Noam Dar coming out, grabs a mic. They finally got a wireless mic. I guess they're doing, uh, <laughs> I guess they're fucking doing good for themselves now. Um, Jesus. So, Noam Dar grabs a mic. He's like, blah, 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 blah. You can't, the audio is really bad. You can't really hear what he's saying. And he's Scottish, so it's pretty much <laughs> unlistenable. <laughs> um, sorry for any Scots listening. But, yeah, so I guess, but I guess the gist of what he's saying is that, well, I earned a title opportunity last time. I don't want it in the main event. I want it now. Or however Scots talk. Um, so <laughs> that obviously brings out Legero cause he's babyface champion. So he'll fight whoever. And that's, you know, the whole deal there. Um, I guess the premise here is that Noam Dar wants to kind of catch Legero off guard. And that's pretty much it. I guess Noam Dar is also undefeated at, at this point. So he's really, uh, an established name. He's one of these guys that I think he's been on pretty much every show, maybe except like one and uh, he's won every match. So he earned this title opportunity and it, it feels like a big match that means something. Um, and, and, and something early in these progress days, that's something that's really good to see. Uh, so the match gets underway, Noam Dar versus Legero, and uh, it's for the, the Progress Wrestling Championship. The staff, not the belt, the stick with an eagle on it is what they uh, use to represent their uh, top prize in their uh, promotion. So <laughs> this match was fucking bonkers. I was like, okay, they're starting out with this title match. You know, I'm a WWE watcher, right? So I'm kind of conditioned to think like, oh, there's going to be some shenanigans and tomfoolery involved and they're going to like fucking push the match back to the main event or to the next chapter or create a tag match player or something, you know, something like that, right? But no, they literally just went out there and had a main event caliber match in the first match of the show. It was like, God damn. Um, probably my favorite Legero title match that I've seen, uh, through these chapters. And that's saying something considering he faced Ricochet on the last one. So awesome, awesome match. And Noam Dar looked really, really strong in this match. He's, he's a heel, um, definitely a heel coming into this match, but it almost seemed like they're kind of transitioning him into like a babyface role. Um, just based on how he was booked in this match. Cause he wasn't cheating. He wasn't, um, no eye pokes or any of those traditional heel stuff. And he also looked really strong. And I say that because he kicked out at at one point, uh, Legero's finisher, the C4L, which if you're not aware is a, uh, like a springboard DDT. So Legero hits it and then Noam Dar fucking kicks out at one. He gets up. I think he's like bleeding. He flips off Legero and then Legero hits him with a, with a second one. And that is able to give Legero the one, two, three here. And, Legero retains his title and um yeah nothing much else I can say about this match it's really hard hitting um Noam Dar it's pretty similar to something you would see in NXT UK 
um, considering both these guys. Well, I guess Laguerre not. Um, but like in the, in the early, you know, the first year of NXT UK, these two were very uh, prominent figures there. And it's kind of a similar match you would see just with higher, higher stakes um, and just like another gear to it. So I really liked it. Norm Dar worked on the leg because of his submission finisher. Um, but Laguerre was able to power through it. And um, there, there was a, just a ton of times in this match where I thought it was over. Um, and that's the mark of a really good match when you you can really execute those false finishes so well. So props to both guys. Um, and it seems like there's, even though Noam Dar lost this match, it seemed like they're building them up to something bigger. So good stuff there. And we'll see who Ligero faces after that. But man, this show, <laughs> that was the first fucking match and it was a barn burner. So it's like, good luck, everybody else. <laughs> you got to follow that shit. But I think uh, the show was able to... Uh, Keep the nose, I was going to say pull the nose up, but the nose wasn't going down. They were able to keep it steady in this show. Um, and they carried that forward with the next match. is a uh, four-way elimination match. And it is the last opening round match of the Natural Progression Tournament. So if you're just tuning in, the Natural Progression Tournament is set to uh, take a bunch of up-and-coming guys, a bunch of new faces to the scene at this time. To uh, put them all in a tournament, and the winner of the tournament gets a Progress Wrestling Championship opportunity at some point. So, pretty clear stakes there. Uh, single elimination tournament style. So, this is the last uh, quarterfinal match. And we have Eddie Dennis versus Xander Cooper versus Daryl Allen versus Joey Lakeside. So, um, in this tournament, just for... Uh, for your self-awareness, the uh, other three winners that are, have already advanced to the semifinals are Mark Andrews, Lord Jonathan Windsor, and Paul Robinson, who we'll see in the main event of this show. So uh, the match gets underway. And this match, I mean, it's a four-way. <laughs> it's a four-way indie match, okay? So it's pretty much exactly what you would imagine. It was very, uh, very moves at certain points. You know what I'm saying? It's just like a lot of moves put together to make a match um but i mean the stakes here are clear like i said you know the winner gets added to the tournament so it's not like there's any other storytelling kind of threads you need to tell um and that's pretty much the extent of it uh so we've seen all these guys before in previous chapters other than uh joey lakeside and joey lakeside apparently is the first graduate of the progress uh training school which they call the Projo. It's like dojo, but progress, you know, projo. Do you get it? Um, but yeah, apparently Lakeside is the first graduate of that school, and um he definitely looked nervous out there, I will say. Um, but I think he was able to hold his own, uh, given the circumstances. Um and he's even able to get the first pinfall here of the match when he pins Xander Cooper with a roll-up. Which was hilarious because Xander Cooper was hated by the crowd. He's such a good heel. He's probably one of the best heels that Progress has at this point. Um, he just carries himself really well. Carries himself like a guy that would be in WWE or any other major promotion. You know, he seems like um, like a lot of these guys can sometimes seem indie. If that may, if that you know, not not to disparage indie wrestling, but you know what I mean, right? They're very you know, they just look like not a star and they uh, act kind of tongue-in-cheek a lot of times when when they're here and the crowd with the crowd interaction and all that stuff that's fine but 
Xander Cooper is a no no bullshit heel, and um, he was able to gain a lot of heat with the crowd, which is the idea. Um, so, <laughs> and but uh, Joey, like I said, Joey Lakeside uh, pinned Xander Cooper with a roll up, and the crowd fucking goes bananas for it because they fucking hate him, and they even do a na 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 na. They put their uh, they put their British twist on it instead of hey hey goodbye. It's Na 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 na, hey hey hey, fuck off. <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. The crowd was particularly British in this match. A lot of fucking elves and uh, Harry Potter, whatever, whatever they say. Um, but yeah. So Xander Cooper is the first eliminated, and then as Daryl Allen and Eddie Dennis are trying to decide. Uh, who is legal? Because I, I think there's tags in this match. I guess they didn't really abide by them. But Daryl Allen and Eddie Dennis are trying to figure out who's legal now that Xander Cooper got eliminated, and they uh, do it by flipping a coin. So they flip a coin, and uh, as they're like looking for the coin on the mat, Joey Lakeside back in the action rolls up Eddie Dennis for a two count. So I guess Eddie Dennis is legal now, and then Eddie Dennis follows up. <laughs> With the most hilariously terrible hand clap kick. Like just a kick. Like a big boot. But uh like uh, not even trying to hide it. It was it was I don't know. It didn't really match the impact either. It was it was just funny. Um but he kicks, quote unquote, Joey Lakeside in the face and follows it up with a small package driver which they are calling the God's Last Gift, which was uh, Seth Rollins' finisher in ROH, which I guess he's still in ROH at this time, maybe? I think, or I don't know. But they're basically calling it God's Last Last Gift because that's synonymous with Seth Rollins. So, hits the small package driver for the pinfall over Joey Lakeside. So, now we're just left with Eddie Dennis and Daryl Allen. Um, and then they kind of just tussle for like a few seconds. And then Eddie Dennis hits him with another small, with hits uh, Daryl Allen with another small package driver for the win. So Eddie Dennis moves on in the tournament. Big win for him. And it's just interesting because, you know, this, this show occurred in 2013. And this episode is taking place in at the end of 2020. So it's just such a funny, it's so funny to watch some of these guys because some of them are such a departure from what they were or what they are nowadays. And Eddie Dennis is one of those guys. Like nowadays, he's very, very menacing, very like stoic and macabre. And he's just very like subdued. Subdued? I don't know. But he's very, you know, you know what I'm saying? Very stoic, very uh, stone-esque. Uh, but here he's kind of like the fun-loving, you know, jolly guy. It's just, it's it's hilarious to see that. Um, but still, pretty much looks the same. Still looks like a lanky fuck. Uh, but good win for Dennis here, and he moves on to the semifinals for the Natural Progression Tournament. So after that, we have some tag team action: the London Riots versus Project Ego. So we've seen the London Riots before. Um, they are like the one tag team. They're they're like the tag team that's that that is dominating everybody in progress. They're undefeated, and uh, they're facing Project Ego, who are making their progress debut at this show. A team of Chris Travis and Martin Kirby. I'd never heard of them before this, um, but goddamn it, are they entertaining as hell? Um, but before we get into that, 
I should mention that uh, before this match started, the London Riots grabbed the mic, start cutting a promo, basically saying that they're the most dominant tag team there, which they are, but they're yelling at Jim Smallman, who's also the, the ring announcer, so he's in the ring there. They're yelling at him because he has not created any sort of tag team championships or any sort of reward for their dominance. So they're yelling at him. They're yelling at him for not. They're basically disrespecting him and not giving him any titles. But as they're saying this, they're standing in the ring with titles, which are the IPW UK tag titles that they had won the previous day. So they're standing in the ring with these titles and they basically just proclaim themselves as the progress wrestling championship. So I uh, I try to have limited knowledge on what happens in the future of progress, but I'm assuming that maybe these IPW UK tag team titles kind of just morph into the progress titles. Do I have that right? I probably have that very wrong, but that's kind of my assumption as I'm watching this. Um, so yeah, they basically you know, self-anoint themselves as the champions, but they're the most dominant team there, so they more than deserve it. Um, but the match gets underway in Project Ego. So they're real, like I said, very entertaining team. Um, a lot of <laughs> they like hug each other before the match. Um, Chris Travis offers Rob Lynch McDonald's to <laughs> make peace with him, I guess, because uh, to quote Scott Steiner, he's fat. Uh, Rob Lynch is so um, some <laughs> good fun stuff there at the beginning, but it really kicks into another gear. Uh, Project Ego are not just entertaining, but they're like a high-flying, high-faced, fast-paced, hard-hitting tag team. So I really liked watching them work in the ring. Um, A little introduction for me, at least. But uh, it comes to an end. It comes to a brutal end for Project Ego when the London Riots catch one of them in their uh, double powerbomb finisher. They call the District Line. Uh, So the London Riots get... Yet again, another win here in progress and maintain their stranglehold on the tag division and puts even more credibility behind them anointing themselves as the tag team champions because there really is no other tag team in progress at this point, at least that has near the success that the London Riots have had. And pretty much any team that does exist, the the Riots have already beaten at this point. So we'll see what kind of unfolds there as far as a tag division goes because, uh, at this point, it's pretty shallow, but um, I'm sure that'll kick in at some point. So, uh, yeah, really good match there. And uh, that leads us into, for all intents and purposes, could have been the match of the night. Um, Jimmy Havoc versus Zack Sabre Jr. Who doggy, what a fucking match this was. And to add on to it, to add even more spectacle to it, the special guest referee... Nigel McGinnis, man, I uh, I popped for. I haven't heard his entrance music, his his in, independent entrance music in a while, and I popped hard when I heard that because you got remember this is 2013, so we're kind of we're still pretty fresh off of his retirement at this point, and I think even at some point he's kind of like mentions his documentary that came out after his retirement, um, which was later used um, in a WWE Network documentary which by the way if you haven't seen that documentary on the wwe network on nigel mcginnis finish listening to this and then go fucking watch that documentary because it's incredible incredible um i've always been a huge nigel mcginnis fan he's probably on my top five of all time wrestlers um i think it's just the stuff he did in roh was uh, 
on a completely different level than anybody else. So really cool to see him refing this match. And uh, yeah, and just by, by the way, you got Jimmy Havoc and Zack Sabre Jr. in there who are two of the best in the UK at this point. So arguably the best in the world, at least as far as uh, Zack Sabre goes. But yeah, this is like the epitome of hardcore wrestling versus technical wrestling. Because uh, as you may or may not know, Jimmy Havoc, he's, he's the hardcore guy. He's the backyard, deathmatch, uh, exploding barbed wire kind of guy. And then you have Zack Sabre Jr., who is this lanky guy, this jujitsu Muay Thai, um, can put you, it can wrap you in a pretzel at a drop of a hat kind of guy. So really clash of styles, but I think that was able to tell a really good story in this match because, you know, Jimmy Havoc has been in progress so far throughout the entire span of it. And he was able to get booked on progress because, you know, in 2012, 2013, he wasn't as big a name as he is now. So he basically got booked on the show through like a Twitter campaign. And uh, so the crowd loves him. He's like the uh, the underdog, the, uh, the I guess underdog. Yeah, I guess that's the word, right? So, but he wants to kind of fit in. And I've, I've mentioned this before, so I'll just touch on it really quickly. He wants to kind of fit in with what progress stands for. And that's, you know, true British wrestling. You know, harking back to the days of uh, Johnny Saint and... Roller Boy Rocco, is that his name? I'm American. I'm stupid. I probably got that wrong. But (laughs) you know what I mean? The William Regals, uh, guys like that. So uh, Jimmy Havoc is trying to fit in with that style, but he's known as like the hardcore guy. So it's an uphill battle for him. And it's definitely an uphill battle in this match against Zack Sabre Jr., who is, (laughs) like I said, he's the epitome of that. So um, it was a good story. It It was a classic zsj match that you pretty much see all the time you know he puts you in a hold and then you find a way to almost get out of it and then he puts you back in it and then you find a different way to get out of it and then he puts you back in it and there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the beginning which is fun to see but at this in 2020 that's kind of become cliche for zach um but the match really kicks into another gear after that and a lot of false finishes between the two a lot of really really entertaining offense really unique offense between both guys but ultimately I don't even know how to describe this finish. You just have to see it. It's um, so Jimmy Havoc rolls up Zack Saber Jr. in like a schoolboy, but then Zack gets them in like kind of like a Oma Plata, which is uh, kind of like a like a yes lock from Daniel Bryan. But th- th- think of this: think of a yes lock, but instead of a cross face, he grabs the other arm and stomps on the guy's head. I think I think that's pretty much as best as I could do to describe what this submission was at the end of the match. And obviously Jimmy Havoc has to submit here because he can't move anywhere. Cause he's all tied up and he's getting his fucking head stomped in by the way. Um, so yeah, awesome finish, really entertaining match. And I think both guys came out looking really strong. Jimmy Havoc has still not gotten a win here in progress. He's still uh winless. Some may say, but, uh, Clearly building to something bigger, and uh, I, I hope Zack Saber Jr. Uh, keeps coming back because I always love watching him wrestle. Uh, after the match, uh, Nigel Nigel really didn't play much of a part in this match, uh, but it was just good to see him in the background. And uh, Nigel cuts a promo after the match, basically puts over both guys, um, puts over Zack Saber Jr. as one of the best in the world, uh, puts over Jimmy Havoc as a guy that doesn't need the hardcore wrestling because he's good enough on his own merit. 
So uh, really cool for Nigel to kind of build those guys up because it means a lot coming from him. Um, and he just, in general, gives a lot of respect to British wrestling. He mentions his documentary and uh, sends that. Well, he doesn't send the crowd home, but he has the crowd happy for his time out there. So good little deal there. And uh, yeah, good shit from all guys involved. Speaking of good shit, man, oh, man. Next match, Mark Andrews versus Will Ospreay. Man, you just hear those names and you know you're going to get something really really fucking special um but with the added stipulation here so these guys did face off a few chapters ago in a uh, quarterfinal match for that natural progression tournament which mark andrew shut the fuck up cat i'm doing a podcast for <laughs> mark andrews won uh to move on to the semifinals but the stipulation here is that if uh will osprey wins he gets Mark's spot in the tournament. So, essentially, they're just redoing that match, which I guess they're redoing it because it was such an awesome match originally, so they just want to do it again, which, hey, I'm all for. So, um, But also, the stipulation doesn't end there. If Mark Andrews wins once again, uh, Will Ospreay must leave progress forever. Uh, so, so those are the steps there and then the match gets underway and once again this match is probably pretty much what you imagine right a lot of high flying offense lots of crazy ass moves um again it's very like just a bunch of moves kind of put together but it's still a, a really really fun match um the crowd hits them with the you're both mental uh chant so um and that pretty much depicts what this match was it was fucking mental um both these guys at this point are very young and hungry um and we know what they would end up becoming uh later in their careers and we know that this is only the tip of the iceberg for both guys um even though at this point mark andrews still looks like ellen degeneres but i digress um the finish of this match comes with a top rope spanish fly uh, Mark Andrews hits it on Will Ospreay for the win, which is, uh, you know, nowadays you see that match, that, that move is kind of just a transition move into something else. So really cool to see that as a finish. And, uh, I was really surprised to see Mark Andrews win because my assumption when this match was announced was like, okay, they, they see how talented Will Ospreay is. So they kind of want to redo it so that he's in the tournament and not Mark Andrews. Not that Mark Andrews is, is not talented, but maybe they just saw more in Will Ospreay, but they literally just wanted to have this match again, and I guess Will Ospreay is gone from progress forever, which, like I said, I try to avoid the future results in match cards, so I don't know if that's a shoot or if that's just a thing where he'll come back in the next chapter and we'll all forget about it. But um, <laughs> So, uh, very good match here. If you're going to watch one match, actually, there's a lot of matches on this card that I would go back and watch, but really good stuff here and uh, carried us into the next match. RJ Singh versus Danny Garnell. Uh, Danny Garnell is undefeated in progress. He's kind of just like an older wrestler kind of guy, um, like a classic UK wrestler. And then RJ Singh is like, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with RJ Singh at this point, man. He's, he comes in, he's a heel, like in the first chapter, right? He's a heel and he, he's like a, a Bollywood guy. So he has like two managers. He has like a director and then like a, another, another guy on a megaphone. 
and and then they turn him babyface a few chapters ago, reuniting with uh, Daryl Allen, who I guess Singh and Allen are a tag team in other promotions in the UK. So, um, but RJ Singh, I guess they just saw how entertaining he was, and they're like, "Yeah, the crowd's gonna love this guy. They're not gonna boo him." So. Let's turn him babyface. And that continued in this show. I can't avoid this shit. So RJ Singh, his catchphrase is, Singh is king. And then the, the crowd chants it. They all love it. They all love it. Then, um, so Singh is king is like a big uh, thing. And so what does he do? Comes to the ring dressed as Elvis. Do you get it? <laughs> God damn. I just did a TNA review where the kings of wrestling, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, both dressed as Elvis. I can't escape it. I can't escape the hips. Uh, but RJ say it's like a thing that he takes off before the match starts, but it's still really funny. But as if that wasn't enough hullabaloo, this is, keep in mind, this is like spring of 2013. So they announce him as RJ Singh. RJ Singh grabs the mic and he's like, no, 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 no. You're saying it wrong. You gotta say it with your breath. It's Sing Dango. Like Fandango, Fandango, little thing there. 2013, you you remember? You remember when that was a thing? Um, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) it was funny. I guess Fandango was a a big thing at this point. I think it might have been right after WrestleMania when he beat Chris Jericho. So that's when he was kind of at his peak. So poking fun at WWE. And it's funny, I should say, they poke a lot of fun at WWE. But now in 2020, they literally have progress on the network, which is hilarious to me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's a match here at some point, I think. RJ Singh versus Danny Garnell. And it's a solid match. I mean, it has a lot of competition on this card. So it doesn't necessarily stand out. um, But it was definitely a really good match. RJ Singh is very entertaining. He's able to uh, translate that into his matches. And Danny Garnell has been built up as pretty strong so far. And he's able to get the win here. Danny Garnell is with a uh, a second rope leaping DDT. So he remains undefeated. I'm sure he'll probably get a title shot at some point down the road. Um, RJ Singh loses, but the crowd still loves him. And he's still, even though he lost the match, he still grabs the mic. He's still okay. And uh, to quote him... He says, that didn't really go as I planned, but I guess there's always time for one last dance. <laughs> so <laughs> They hit Fandango's music, like his actual music. I don't know how they fucking did that. I guess they just figured WWE would never watch it. But <laughs> they hit Fandango's music and then the, like some lady gets in the ring with like a dancing dress and heels and they start like ballroom dancing in the middle of the ring but oh my god the london riots the london riots charge in the ring with their terrible orange polos attacking from behind by god by god that man has a family they put a chair around sing's ankle and then they take another chair and smack it so virtually shattering sing dongo's ankle and um, Daryl Allen and Danny Garnell both come out because Dan- Danny left after he won the match. So him and uh, RJ Singh's tag team partner, Daryl Allen, come out to make the save. Or I guess not to really make the save. They, they weren't really saving anything because his ankle's already broken. Um, but they chase the riots out of the ring to prevent any more damage. 
and um, seems like they're setting sort of match up with there. Probably a uh, Danny Garnell and Daryl Allen versus the London Riots. So I assume that's what they're going for here. And I should say, since the Riots are back out here, I think I neglected to mention uh, after the Riots won their match earlier, um, Jim Smallman, the co-owner of Progress, grabbed the mic and he said, he like basically gave them both their winner's purses. Not not purses, but like an envelope full of money. And they're like, fuck off. Get the fuck out of my ring. Ah, you're going to disrespect this lot. Yay, fuck you, mate. Or whatever he said. And um, so there, it seems like they're building some sort of tension between the riots and Jim Smallman. Or between management of progress. So I don't know if that's like a storyline that they're going to continue or not. Um, but it seems like, they're like I said progress we're starting to get into these chapters starting to build up storylines so really good to see um some of that kind of stuff here um you know quote unquote sports entertainment but you need that right to create a uh a show that people want to tune into or to attend or to buy the dvd or whatever it is you know so good stuff by everybody involved and that brings us to the main event we have a six-man tag match we have the team of Rampage Brown, Paul Robinson, and Marty Skrull versus the team of Screw Indie Wrestling. Now you might be you might be asking yourself, "Hey, hardest part of the ring, who the fuck are Screw Indie Wrestling?" Well, at this point, it's a three-man faction comprised of Nathan Cruz, Mark Haskins, and a mystery partner. So we have all five. We have these five guys standing in the ring. Nathan Cruz, by the way, fucking love Nathan Cruz. <laughs> so their their team name is Screw Indie Wrestling. So it's basically like they're implying that they love WWE. They love what WWE is doing and they hate what all of these independent promotions are doing. So Nathan Cruz comes out to entrance music, which he's like the only one that does throughout this whole show. Or at least he, the, it's, it's the only one that gets shown. So it really puts forward that that image that Nathan Cruz has for himself where he thinks he's a bigger star than everybody else and he thinks he belongs, like I said, in a promotion like WWE or some major promotion where he can be more of a sports entertainer rather than a wrestler. And he comes out with, like I said, with entrance music, comes out with a boa and sunglasses. <laughs> kind of kind of very, it almost reminded me of like a Tyler Breeze in his early uh, NXT career. Um, but I thought that was hilarious and it really got over his character very well. So they, uh, the mystery partner. So like I said, all five guys are standing in the ring, Nathan Cruz, Mark Haskins, uh, Rampage Brown, Paul Robinson, Marty Skrull. They're all standing in the ring. Nathan Cruz has the mic. He's like, who's going to be our mystery partner? Who, who, who? And then he points to the entrance ramp. Everybody looks at it like, who, who's going to come out? Who's going to come out? And then Rampage Brown takes off his sweatshirt to unveil a Screw Indie Wrestling t-shirt. Oh my god, it was me. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. <laughs> and then, so Rampage turns on his partners that were just became just became his partners a few minutes ago. <laughs> Paul Robinson and Marty Squirrel. So now... All of a sudden, the tides have turned. So now you have Nathan Cruz, Mark Haskins, and Rampage Brown versus just Paul Robinson and Marty Skrull. So they're outnumbered, but oh no, oh no. Dave Mastiff comes out to make the save, evening the odds. 
So now that is the six-man tag match that we have at this point. Um, but this match for me was an uphill battle from the get-go because before the match started, Jim Smallman once, once again grabs a mic and he kicks out Fug. Fug, who is uh, Nathan Cruz's like bodyguard, who like I've said before is basically like a like a jacked up hitman, like you know the video game, and uh, like down to the suit, the glasses, and like the little earpiece that he's like a uh, what do you call it that guards the president? You know he's one of those guys, right? <laughs> but they kick him out. He didn't even do anything. Fug didn't do anything, but whatever. I'm a big Fug guy. So um, the match itself, it, it was what it was. Honestly, it almost felt like kind of a flat ending to the show. Although, you know, this is like very storyline heavy stuff, which I do like. Um, it just felt paced very weird. Paced in, 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 in that, like where it fell on the card. Um, because the match is fine. I mean, the match was what it was. Um, but there, it, it just... So I should explain. I think I neglected to mention this before. Because there's so much shit happening that I, this is so much shit. So whoever gets the pinfall or submission in this match becomes the number one contender to the Progress Wrestling Championship. So you have that added element to it. So towards the end of the match, Dave Mastiff has Rampage Brown beat. He hits him with the cannonball in the corner. He drags him into the middle of the ring, goes for the pin. But then Marty Skrull, his own partner, rips Dave Mastiff off of him. Because he wants the title shot, but he also is conflicted because he doesn't want to lose the match. And as they're kind of bickering back and forth, Rampage Brown attacks both of them, gives Dave Mastiff a pile driver, and pins him one, two, three. So Screw Indy Wrestling wins the match, and Rampage Brown gets the pinfall, and therein becomes the number one contender for the Progress Wrestling Championship. Man, oh man. It's funny because, you know, when they announced them initially, Rampage got a huge pop. The crowd loved him, but now they all hate him. So, <laughs> heel, heel, heel. So, just a weird, kind of like, when I say it was flat, it was just kind of a weird ending to the show. Um, but builds up Rampage Brown, builds up a little tension between Dave Mastiff and Marty Skrull, and makes this, I don't know if this faction sticks around for a while, but if they do, they look strong in this main event. So, um, good stuff in that sense. Um, but yeah, that pretty much uh, brings Chapter 7 to a close. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's progress to the next chapter. Yeah. Chapter 8, The Big Boy's Guide to Strong Style. Occurred on uh, July 28th, 2013, once again from the garage in Islington. And man, oh man, this is a, another, another really strong show by, uh, by progress here. And, uh, you know, the first thing I notice actually is the, uh, the increase in production value on this chapter. Because, you know, especially like when we go like to the first, back to the first couple episodes man the lighting was terrible like you could see the the little computers like on the in the hard camera um they only had like one hard camera and then another mobile camera so if they were fighting in the crowd you couldn't see a goddamn thing but man in chapter eight um you could really see them starting to figure it out it's not perfect and it's not a uh, where it is uh nowadays but it's definitely you can see the you can see the progress 
you can see the progress, everybody. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> but yeah, the show opens up and you can tell right away, right? So, um, first of all, just the pre-show video package. Now, they are, they've always done some sort of package in the beginning. Um, they, they're kind of like playing around with like how to format it and whatnot. But um, chapter eight starts out with a uh, pretty well put together video package building up some of the matches on uh, this chapter, including the opening match. Uh, Sticks versus Mark Haskins. Now, remember on the last chapter, that show came to a close with a six-man tag in which the team of Screw Indie Wrestling was victorious over uh, Dave Mastiff, Marty Skrull, and Paul Robinson. And that Screw Indie Wrestling group is made up of Nathan Cruz, Mark Haskins, and Rampage Brown. Now, on this show... Nathan Cruz is not there. They say he's off doing a modeling something or another. I don't think that's what he's doing. Didn't really care enough to look up what he was actually doing. But, um, yes, yeah, so the video package here, which I like, is uh, Mark Haskins talking, which is good because he was just introduced at the end of last chapter, so it's good to kind of get a sense of who he is and where he fits in the whole thing, right? So they're building up the match between uh, Mark Haskins and Sticks, so it's just each guy respectively talking about what their deal is. And Mark Haskins is building up that new stable, Screw Indie Wrestling. And then Sticks is like, you know, on the past few shows, I've been angry. But what do I have to be angry about? Oh, I just want to have fun, you know. And uh, <laughs> so a little bit of a, a face turn, I guess, for Sticks. He's kind of been like the, uh, in the past shows that we've seen him, he's kind of been just that generic monster heel kind of guy. But now he's... uh. Just a jolly good guy, which makes sense because he's really been one of those guys that plays into the crowd, and he's already been having fun, clearly, so it might as well just make that his character, right? So that brings us to that opening match, Mark Haskins for Sticks, and <laughs> hilarious introduction. So uh, Jim Smallman, the ring announcer slash owner, has the mic. He's like, I've been, I was sent an email that stated that stated that the members of Screw Indie Wrestling will give their own introductions. So Mark Haskins grabs the mic and he's gives this hilariously like over the top intro of himself. Um, and then somebody in the crowd calls him a hobbit. <laughs> and then he goes, hey, well, yeah, I'm going to screw your mom, eh? Just like hilariously like on the nose. And <laughs> it's like, man, no subtlety there, Mark. But um, yeah, like I said, you can also tell from just this first match to how the production value has improved. You know, they have a different angle of the hard cam. The lighting has seemed to improve a little bit. Uh, the camera's a little less grainy. Good stuff. Good stuff to see. Um, even just little things, but it makes a whole lot of difference. And the match itself was uh, pretty good. It was. Uh, it felt more cold of an opener than we've seen in past chapters. Usually, like, from the jump, the crowd is all into it. But kind of just a, uh, I don't want to call it flat, because it kind of kicked up in the uh, towards the end of it, but um, definitely not as strong an opener as we've seen in the past shows. But uh, I do like so this is like kind of my introduction to Mark Haskins, really as a as a singles guy at least. And dude, the way he like I can't even describe it. He just like hops around the ring. He'll like hop on one foot, then move to the other foot, and kind of just do that little shit. He is such a hateable little prick. <laughs> He's like. He reminds me of Adam Cole in some ways, but just like a uh, a little bit more flamboyant, I guess, maybe is the word for it. But 
doing a great job at making you want him to see him get his ass kicked, Mark Haskins. So pretty good match here. And ultimately, Sticks ends up submitting Haskins with a tequila sunrise. So pretty uh, surprising result there. I would have thought they would have done something to keep that faction looking strong, but I guess they'll do more of that as the show prog- uh, I guess I gotta stop saying progresses as the show moves on <laughs> here um, by the end of the show that faction will let's just say they'll have a lot of credibility to them but uh get a little bit ahead of myself there because the next match Mark Andrews versus Lord Jonathan Windsor now this is a semi-final match of the natural progression tournament um, I explained what the tournament was in the last chapter, but basically a bunch of new guys in a tournament and the winner gets a title shot at some point, to put it simply. And um, but yes, uh, Mark Andrews versus Lord Jonathan Windsor. Windsor is like a, uh, I, think I'm, <laughs> I think I touched on this last time we saw him a few chapters ago, but he reminds me a lot of William Regal, like a young William Regal. And I don't know if that's just the British smug face on him or if it's the way he walks, his mannerisms, his hand gestures, or if it's just a little bit of everything. But um, that plus his ring style, it's all, you can, you can definitely tell he was heavily influenced by William Regal. And it's not a bad thing, not a bad thing at all. And we all know Mark Andrews, he's still uh, doing it on NXT UK. Always cool to see some of his early stuff here. And um, but yes, this match, pretty much a high flyer versus a uh, traditional British wrestler. So that whole dynamic was really interesting to watch. And I think it meshed very well in this match because I was highly entertained by all of it. Towards the end, Mark Andrews uh, fights out of a suplex from Jonathan Windsor and ends up hitting a shooting star press for the win. So Mark Andrews here gets the win and moves on in the tournament. So uh, good stuff there. Like I said, the the dynamic of Styles was uh, really good here. You have Windsor, you know, the mat-based, you know, trying to ground Mark Andrews and then Mark Andrews fighting out of that using the speed and then uh, ultimately his high-flying abilities win him the match. So pretty classic kind of uh clash of styles here but did it very well very well so man while that match was uh pretty clean pretty smooth pretty athletic this next match is something a little different it's uh rob lynch versus danny garnell so rob lynch is one half of the london riots and danny garnell is a kind of a veteran of the ring and in progress so far he's undefeated and both these guys are a couple of big lads big lads wrestling maybe that's where the title comes in but uh and it's a so very interesting stipulation here the stipulation is that it is a no weapons last man standing match so pretty self-explanatory it's a last man standing match but not you know the typical oh we're gonna put each other through tables and throw each other off ladders and chairs to try to get the win nope you just got to do it with old wrestling moves which is a cool like i've never seen that before i'm sure it's happened a lot of times but it's not something i'm very familiar with but kind of a cool concept it adds a little bit of a uh, a twist to the traditional last man standing match which you know we probably see a little too much of nowadays but um i think it played into their styles very well because it's very hard hitting and, um, you know, I mean, if, if you know anything about these two guys, you know, it's going to be a, a bowling shoe, ugly match. But so, you know, the 
both guys are in the ring. So we have the London Riots in the ring. And then we have Danny Garnell and Jimmy Havoc, who is in Garnell's corner. Um, if you remember last chapter, the London Riots took out uh, RJ Singh. And, you know, Danny Garnell was part of that group that tried to help Singh and ran off the London Riots. It was a whole thing. It was a whole hullabaloo. But now Jimmy Havoc is in the ring. He has a chair in his hand, a pink chair for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm sure that's some sort of inside joke. Um, and he has a mic and he threatens that if the other London riot gets involved in this match, he's going to come and wallop him with that pink old chair. And, uh, he says he's going to go sit at the bar with this chair and watch the match. And if anything happens, he's going to come in and put a stop to it, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so yeah, basically the build for this match is Garnell is undefeated and this is the last contracted match for the London riots or the last night that they're going to be wrestling for progress. Allegedly. Now, I know that they continue to wrestle for progress, but at this point, it's basically their last hoorah. So, and they've kind of been split. The tag team's been split into two singles matches as opposed to having a tag match. So, like I said, no weapons, last man standing match. And it is a bit clunky at the beginning. You know, it's a lot of just suplexes and kind of fiddling with their hands and kind of uh you know just a little sloppy in the beginning but a lot of suplexes and a lot of landing on their heads hoof um <laughs> that's some strong style that's some big lad strong style for you and dude fucking might have been my favorite part of the match the uh so both guys are down you know they had a big top rope superplex and both guys are down ref starts counting one two three and then when he gets to four, his fucking voice, his voice cracks. He goes, four! And then, man, the crowd does not let that slide. <laughs> for, the, for the rest of the match and the rest of the show, really, the crowd... So it's like a thing in progress when the, when the ref is counting for like a count out or something. The ref will go one, and then right away the crowd will go two, you know, to try to like fuck him up a little bit. But now... The ref will go one, and the crowd will go two. <laughs> Fucking with them, God, that was hilarious. But the uh, the rest of the match itself is very, very stiff. Um, definitely a change of pace from the last match, but I kind of I really enjoyed it. I was entertained by it. Like I said, it's a couple of big guys just be- hitting each other really hard, suplexing each other very, very stiffly, and uh, towards the end of the match. James Davis, the partner of Rob Lynch, gets in the ring to try to help help him up. And then Havoc, who, like he said earlier, is sitting at the bar watching this match, runs to the ring, runs inside the ring with his pink chair and throws it at James Davis. Davis goes down. Like, it's like, did he, did he not heed the warning of Jimmy Havoc? Did he not hear what he was going to do? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um... So yeah, it takes out the other London riot. Jimmy Havoc goes after him to try to neutralize him some more. And then inside the ring, Danny Garnell hits four DDTs. So two regular DDTs, a tornado DDT, and then like a hangman's DDT off the top rope, all in consecutive order. And that is what gets him the win here. Lynch doesn't get up at the 10 count, and Danny Garnell gets the win, remains undefeated, and the London riots... I mean, as a team, they're undefeated, but their first loss of any sort, um, even though it's a singles match here. So 
Pretty interesting finish there. So, But that leads us right into the next match. As I mentioned, James Davis and Jimmy Havoc are fighting outside the ring. And that leads us right into the next match. You guessed it. James Davis versus Jimmy Havoc. Now, this is a hardcore match. And if you know anything about Jimmy Havoc, that is what daddy likes. And <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a fast pace right at the beginning. Just... He has that chair. He keeps hitting. Uh, Havoc keeps hitting Davis with it. Yeah, Davis rolls to the outside, but then Havoc with a dive to the outside to meet him. Now, I don't always go into like all the details of these matches, but this is one of those matches where there's just so much shit that happens, so much crazy shit that we need to like talk about some of these spots that happened because it was just nutty, 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 nutty to the tenth degree. Because like God, man, what do we see in this match? We see uh, chairs. We see kendo sticks. We see uh, a lot of fighting in the crowd. We see Jimmy Havoc standing on top of the bar that's like in the background. Jumping off of it for a Hearn Canrana <laughs> onto James Davis. Can't say I've seen a Hearn Canrana off a bar before. But that sounds like something you would see in like 2000 WCW or something. Um, but I will say though, as we're talking about them fighting in the crowd and stuff, it's you can tell... Going back to the production value thing, it's a huge improvement from chapter one. If you remember in that main event, it was a fatal four-way and there was a bunch of guys like fighting in the crowd for like most of the match and you couldn't see a goddamn thing. <laughs> Nothing. It was like one mobile camera that was very grainy and it was very dark and you couldn't, you could hear everything, but couldn't see one, one semblance of wrestling in the crowd. But, um, but like I said, an improvement here, we can see pretty much most of it. Although the crowd, <laughs> as you can tell, the crowd's getting kind of annoyed. And they even start a chant, this sounds awesome. This sounds awesome. <laughs> it's funny. And then, so um, this match, you know, in the beginning, Jimmy Havoc is pretty much dominating James Davis. Because James Davis is in a tag team. And Jimmy Havoc is a hardcore wrestler. So it plays to all of James Davis's weaknesses and all of... Jimmy Havoc's strengths. So by all intents and purposes, Jimmy Havoc should have no problem winning this match. He uh, throws James Davis back in the ring, grabs a mic, and he asks the crowd, hey, should I pin him now or keep on going? And of course the crowd's like, ah, ah, blood, blah, 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 tea and crumpets. And then he asks for a beer, <laughs> uh, yeah, asks for a beer and then drops the mic and um, goes under the ring. And what does he pull out? He pulls out like a pink pencil case of some sort. Brings it into the ring. Unzips it. What does he dump out? Tell me, everybody. What does he dump out? Drawing pins. Who the fuck calls it drawing pins? It was thumbtacks. You dumbass commentator. Is <laughs> I know it's a British thing. But, but yes, Jimmy Haddock pours some thumbtacks in the corner of the ring. And then... uh Pulls James Davis towards the pile of tacks and they jostle a little bit. Davis sees it, he tries to fight out, but to no avail, ends up getting a pump handle slam back first into these thumbtacks from Jimmy Havoc. Always, no matter how many times you see it, always, always brutal. And then uh, Jimmy Havoc once again grabs the mic, once again asks the crowd, hey, Pin him now or uh, keep going. And the crowd's like, ah, more blood, but more blood, more blood, tea. Um, and then he says he still hasn't gotten his beer. He's very pissed about that. Uh, <laughs> so 
how does Jimmy Havoc cope with not having a beer? Well, he goes back under the ring and pulls out some light tubes. <laughs> because apparently this is fucking CZW now. And he... <laughs> God, this dude... I'm sure this is like a common thing he does, which is makes it even more sickening, but I've never seen it. He takes the light tube, puts it over James Davis's head, and then he headbutts the light tube. Who wins there? Nobody wins there. <laughs> He's a sick fuck. A, uh, you know, he hits him with another light tube. He finally gets his beer. I guess a bartender comes to the ring, gives uh, Jimmy Havoc a beer. He's casually sipping on it as he just takes another light tube and smashes James Davis with it. Keeping it cash, keeping it cash. Then uh, brings him back in the ring, gets another light tube. He uh, puts it on the on the ground, on the mat. But now, James Davis finally, after all this ass-kicking he's been taking for like the past 10 minutes, counters and drop toe holds Jimmy Havoc onto the light tube, like ribs first, and smashes it. So now Jimmy Havoc's stomach is bleeding, everybody's bleeding, there's glass over the ring, there's thumbtacks, there's a pencil case. It's all, it's all brutal, it's all bloody, it's all gay. And now, <laughs> to, to the extent where the ref is carrying around. So earlier, Jimmy Havoc was smashing James Davis with like a cooking sheet, a pan of some sort. And now the ref is, <laughs> he's, he's pretty smart actually. Now the ref is carrying around that baking sheet because when he, he can't fucking do a three count without smashing his hand into tacks or glass or whatever the fuck. So it's funny. He like, every time he has to count, he has to put the baking sheet on the mat and count on that. God, what a time. What a time. Um, but uh, Jimmy Havoc starts to fight back. And uh, you know, him and Davis are finally finally having like a competitive match of some sort. Um, and I should mention that towards the, the beginning of the match, Jimmy Havoc set up a table on the outside of the ring. So as they're inside the ring, uh, James Davis is on the apron about to go through the table. Jimmy Havoc charges him and then gets backdropped through the table. And uh, what does James Davis do to uh, capitalize on this? Like any sane man would, goes outside, grabs some more light tubes, tapes them to the corner of the ring, and then Irish whips Jimmy Havoc into the light tubes. Wrestling. And, <laughs> and just in case you forgot that these guys are British, James Davis grabs another light tube, sticks it over the back of Jimmy Havoc, and then pulls out a cricket bat and then smashes the cricket bat onto the light tube over the back of Jimmy Havoc. This is particularly sickening because the glass, it, it's just all over his back. Like, <laughs> he gets hit with this cricket bat and then now he's just, his back is just covered in glass. And that brings us to probably the worst, <laughs> the most brutal spot of the match. And it's funny because we just saw something similar at AEW Full Gear 2020 in the Eddie Kingston John Moxley match. But this here on Progress was probably a worse version of it. So Jimmy Havoc crawls in the ring. He, he has glass all over his back. His, his back is just shredded. It's just ground beef at this point. What does James Davis now grab? A fucking lemon. A lemon. You ever like squeeze a you ever like you're cooking dinner and you you cut your thumb on, on a knife or something? 
and then you had to squeeze lemon all over your couscous, but you forget that you have a cut on your thumb. So you squeeze the lemon and it touches your thumb on the cut on your thumb. And then you scream like a little girl and then run out of the kitchen crying. Yeah. All of us have had that happen to us, but this just takes that <laughs> and amplifies it by a thousand. James or uh, Jimmy Havoc is crawling on the mat in the ring. Davis has the lemon squeezes the lemon lemon juice all over Jimmy Havoc's back. Fuck. Fucking hell, mate. That man has a family. Lemon juice all over his back. I, I can't even imagine. Like, like I said, it's pretty analogous to Eddie Kingston pouring alcohol over Dean Ambrose's back when he had cuts, but I don't know, man. I don't know which is worse, to be honest. And um, James Davis follows it up with a powerbomb through a... Uh, so it's basically two chairs set up and a wooden board set up on top of them. So it's kind of like a, a makeshift table of sorts. So James Davis follows up the lemon by powerbombing Jimmy Havoc through this wooden board, gets the fucking win here, which is very surprising because it's like you see that first match and you're like, oh, I guess they're going to send the London riots out on their back. And you have this match. It's like, man, Jimmy Havoc, this is his strength. This is his bread and butter. There's no way he's going to lose this match. But lo and behold, he does. He loses. And at this point, he's still winless in progress. 0-6, I believe, this puts him at. Which is um, definitely building to something. I mean, the crowd still loves him. But uh, man, you gotta wonder what's gonna happen with Jimmy Havoc in the future. And what's gonna... If he's ever gonna turn it around. But we'll see. But yeah, brutal, brutal match. Um, definitely... Hard to recover from that. I mean, I think this was... Uh, I think Thankfully, they had like an intermission after this. Um, if nothing else, to fucking clean up the ring. I think they actually changed the canvas here. Um, but yeah, you can't... <laughs> you can't follow up after that. That just bloodbath. Um, fucking lemon, man. God damn it. But that brings us to the second part of the show. So uh, after that, we have something a little different. We have a triple threat match. Daryl Allen versus Eddie Dennis versus Doug Williams. Man, it's funny. We just uh, just covered some Doug Williams on my last ROH show, uh, Road to the Title, 2002. And that was, as the title suggests, in 2002. And now we're in 2013 and all the stuff he did in between. So Doug Williams is all over the place. All over the apron bump, and uh, <laughs> I'll be covering him in TNA at some point, too. So, a well-traveled lad, this Doug Williams is uh, a journeyman in wrestling, to say the least. One of the most underrated wrestlers that there is, too, in my opinion. And um, he shows just why in this match. You need no other rationale behind that than to just watch this match. Because, obviously, I mean... Daryl Allen and Eddie Dennis, at least at this point, are both very new. And uh, you have Doug Williams pretty much driving this match. And as shows, that's a testament to his skill because this match was fucking awesome. Might have been, you know, if we're talking about just pure wrestling, probably my favorite match of this chapter. And um, just really good because, you know, triple threat matches can go one of two ways. They can be clunky messes or they can be fantastic entertaining fast-paced beauty 
So, and this match was the latter for sure. So, Eddie and Daryl Allen, they both team up on Doug Williams in the beginning because he's the veteran. He's the he's the he's the favorite in this match. He's the guy that people are wanting wanting to see in this match. So they team up on him, but ultimately Williams uh, fights back and <laughs> ends up somehow he hits a Death Valley driver and a DDT, like he gives a Death Valley driver to Daryl Allen while giving a DDT to Eddie Dennis. <laughs> Fun little spot there and. Uh, yeah, man, towards the end of the match. Um, I mean, like, like I said, this match is great. Probably like 15 minutes or so. Everybody gets some shine. Everybody gets their shit in. Lots of good false finishes. There are several points in the match where I thought Daryl Allen was going to win or where I thought Eddie Dennis was going to win. But ultimately, Doug Williams gets the win with a top rope knee drop. King Kong knee drop. Awesome finish. Uh, we saw the chaos theory from him earlier, but you know, that was broken up. So he had to pull another trick out of his bag of tricks. Trick out of his bag of tricks. Another trick out of his bag of his, he did another move. He did. He did it. He did another finisher, and uh, <laughs> got the win here. But yeah, like I said, everybody looked great in this match. Did wonders for everybody involved. Got Doug Williams um, in front of this crowd. I think that was he with TNA at this point. I guess he led, just left TNA. Maybe. In, because I think he ended up going back, so maybe that was just kind of like an in-between in period. But uh, yeah, good to see progress getting some big names like this. Like we saw Nigel McGuinness at the last show, and now we're seeing Doug Williams. So definitely, progress is definitely uh, getting some notoriety across the UK and across the world. So awesome stuff here. And uh, the next match, we have, the, we have Project Ego versus the Hunter Brothers. So two young up-and-coming tag teams here we saw project ego just in the last chapter like i said very entertaining team um lot, lots of shenanigans in all their matches and then we have the hunter brothers who you might remember from that uh that brutal hardcore match with the london riots a couple chapters ago and um as the commentator puts it so eloquently the hunter brothers look like less cunty drew mcintyre's <laughs> Which is hilarious because doesn't Drew McIntyre end up wrestling for them at some point? <laughs> I think I think at this point in 2013 he's with 3MB, if I'm not mistaken, um, or it's like just before that. But he's he's nowhere near the Drew McIntyre that we have now in 2020. So just a funny thing to hear in hindsight, especially considering Drew McIntyre would wrestle for Progress later down the line. Um, I wonder if he brings that up. I hope he does. But um, the match, Hunter Brothers. Project Ego tag team match. A uh, very entertaining match. In the beginning, you have just, uh, yeah, for some reason, fucking uh, one of the Project Ego guys breaks out a harmonica and starts playing it as he's in like <laughs> a dominal stretch. Just a lot of silliness, but uh, it picks up towards the end with a lot of high paced, uh, high flying action here. And uh, towards the end, Project Ego hits like a uh, crucifix slam of some sort, kind of like the Bludgeon Brothers used to do, and that gets them to win. So Project Ego, you know, they lost to the Riots at the last chapter in a very uh, tough effort, and now they get a win over the Hunter Brothers, who we've seen a few times already in progress. So big win for them, and uh, I know at this point they don't have tag titles, but this surely puts them in the running if that ever becomes a thing uh, sooner rather than later. So uh, good stuff by both teams, and that brings us to the main event Chapter 8, the Progress Wrestling Championship is on the line 
Leggero versus Rampage Brown. Rampage, who, if you remember from the last chapter, won this opportunity by getting the pinfall in that six-man tag match. And uh, this match gets underway, and right away, it's very Attitude Era. <laughs> a lot of fighting in the crowd. Uh, like I said, a lot of the crowd can't even see a lot of it. Um, this lasts for like five, six, seven minutes. Just a bunch of just Ligero's jumping off the sound booths. And uh, there's like another cool spot where they're on the stage, like where they come out for entrances. And uh, Rampage power bombs Ligero off the stage into like a pile of security. Um, like I said, very Attitude Era-esque at times, but with a little bit of uh, a modern flair to it. So they finally get back in the ring. Crowd pops hard just because they're back in the ring. And uh, yeah, man. So it's like another really good match. Um, Ligero has been champion since, uh, what, chapter five or so? I forget. But he's beat a lot of contenders. He beat Noam Dar. He beat Dave Mastiff. He beat Nathan Cruz. He's beat a bunch of guys. And Rampage Brown, this is only his second singles match. And he's actually 0-1 which is uh, bizarre that he's even in the title match. But the match, the ending stretch of the match, you see uh, Ligero, his his finisher is the C4L, which is like a springboard DDT. He hits it for a two count. He hits it again for a two count. They keep fighting, they keep fighting, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Ligero hits it a third time, kicks out. Rampage then follows up, countering Ligero, Hits him with like a spinning pile driver. Gets the one, two, three. Holy fuck. Rampage Brown, who now sits at one and one, is now your new progress wrestling champion. Fuck, man. And it's like, really good match. I mean, not much else you can say about it. Rampage is a very hard hitting. I'm, I'm kind of new to Rampage, but definitely a hard hitting dude, a legit athlete kind of guy. And, um... Just a, a huge powerhouse, and he's able to beat Legero here in his second singles match and win the uh, the Progress Championship here. And uh, you know, I alluded earlier that that faction of uh, Screw Indie Wrestling was going to build some credibility for themselves, and this this is how you do it: putting the World Championship, putting the strap on on your boy. So uh, awesome match, awesome main event, really surprising outcome, and uh, very interesting considering Rampage Brown as I'm recording this, is about to debut for NXT UK. So it's really cool to see some of his early stuff, some of the, his uh, breakout stuff that uh, made a name for himself. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens from that. Rampage seems like a guy that could be a credible champion. And uh, yeah, man, awesome match, awesome show, really. Uh, one of their stronger shows, in my opinion, that they've had. And uh, definitely you can see... Because like with the screw indie wrestling thing, it's a constant threat throughout the show. So you're, they're starting to have the, this really strong foundations for their storylines in addition to the awesome matches that they have. Um, the natural progression tournament's firmly underway. I think it'll conclude at chapter 10. You have the whole Jimmy Havoc thing. You have the tag. You have the London riots and the tag division. Like what's going on with that? A lot of cool stuff happening in progress at this point. So uh, definitely, definitely always enjoy watching these. And always enjoy talking about them because in a world today where there's no crowds and there's very, all the spotlights pretty much on WWE and AEW, there's companies like Progress where, you know, obviously in 2020, they're not really a thing at this point, but um, they have such a huge archive of shows and all of them, I don't don't know about all of them, but 
it's a uh, an incredible roster and a really cool time capsule to go back and see like a lot of where these guys started. I think Alistair Black or Tommy End, as he's known, uh, I think he debuts in like the next chapter or the chapter after that. So that'll be awesome to see as well. So for that reason, you should subscribe if you haven't already. So uh, you'll be notified whenever I get to that. So uh, awesome stuff here by Progress. And I think that brings it to a close. So uh, once again, thank you guys for uh, putting your ears into my mouth. And uh, yeah. Yeah.